It's a joy and a privilege to be here at uh, Village Bible Church Grace Campus in Aurora. When I was a young lad, uh, I attended Central Bible Church uh, as a very young lad. A lot of water over the dam since then. Uh, but it's really a privilege to be here with you, to see this family, to see how God is working here this morning. And uh, I'm really thrilled to have the opportunity to hear some people that just came back from Angola, and it reminds me uh, much of the first time that I came back and uh, the excitement and the joy uh, of the Lord. And, you know, I, I came back and I preached a series on I am not ashamed of the gospel, which is what I think Mike said early in his testimony. Uh, when you meet with these men at Angola that actually love the Lord um, with all of their heart, uh, you learn that we in no way should be ashamed of the gospel. They're not ashamed of the gospel in their surroundings, and sometimes we act like we're ashamed of the gospel. So that was a powerful thing in my life. And uh, I'm not really here to talk about Angola, but it will lead us, uh, I pray, into our uh, message this morning. So let me pray just before we begin. Father, you indeed are a great God. You're a God that uh, breaks into history in amazing ways and does amazing things because you are God. You continually surprise us. I pray that you will speak to us this morning through your word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. My uh, role, one of the roles at uh, Angola, I work at Wheaton College. I've been there for 30 years, so I have the privilege of taking uh, 15 to 20 Wheaton College students to Angola Prison, and we live there for a week uh, uh, during spring break. Now, Wheaton College students have the option of signing up for about, I guess there's probably 15 trips all over the world and some pretty exotic places. Uh, guess which uh, uh, vacation spot fills up first every year. In fact, there were people camped out waiting in line to go to Angola Prison. And the reason is, is because God has done amazing things through the students, to the students that have gone there. Uh, the, the deal is, and I try not to tell them much about Angola, but they think they're going on a missions trip, that they're going to take the Lord Jesus Christ to a prison, and when they get there, they are surprised to see that Jesus Christ is not only resident, but president in a lot of ways, and in a lot of the lives at Angola. Some of our students have come to know the Lord, yes, even Wheaton College students, and uh, it's amazing what God does. So um, there's, there's a thing at Angola that you need to hear. Death is really an uh, all-pervasive topic at Angola. From the sentences, which Mike mentioned, uh, when you get a life sentence in Louisiana, there is no parole, so you have a life sentence. Uh, and most of the people that are there have at least 50 years. So over 90% of the men there die there. And often, by the time they die, their family is gone. Their mother has died. The people that cared about them are gone. And so often, their bodies are not claimed. And so there's cemeteries there called Lookout Point is one of them. And so you see row after row of crosses. Uh, the first cemetery is no names, just the bodies of prisoners. Um, Warden Kane has allowed for dignity to come to that process. I won't go into the whole thing, but you can talk to me about that. 
there's the hospice center where the people that volunteer at the hospice center are all inmates. They care for their dying fellow convicts the way that you would care for a family member as they die. And many of these men are uh, graduates of what they call the seminary, which is New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And it's amazing to see how they love these men and do the things that we would have a hard time doing for one another and hold their hand and lay next to them with their arms around them as they die so that they won't have to die alone. There's violence. It's, it's not there very much like it used to be, but uh, Angola was an extremely violent place. If you would look at the history of the land, it's named after Angola in Africa because there were so many slaves that worked that farm. And I think if the land could cry out, it would uh, with the blood of so many people that have died in that place because of slavery and prisoners. And then there's Death Row. Death Row has 80-some men that are uh, on that death row, and they're sentenced to die. And in Louisiana, they are still executing men. Um, and so the idea of death, although a lot of the Christians have started calling it life row because there's many of the men at death row that know the Lord. And then there's the lethal injection chambers. And uh, you go into there, it's, it's overwhelming to see a table where a person lays and dies. And, and it looks like a cross. Uh, maybe no significance there, but it's overwhelming to go into that room and see where men have died. And so this idea of death and darkness. The last time I went to Angola, I had the privilege of having my son go with me, and my son took a photo. It's not real clear, but I want to explain this photo to you. This photo, uh, well, first I need to say that in Texas and Louisiana, when uh, men were to be executed, they would execute them in their own, in Louisiana it's called a parish instead of a, a county. They would take them to their parish and they used to hang them, same thing in Texas. And it was kind of a spectacle where the crowds would come and watch these people be executed. Uh, then they got the electric chair. So they had a mobile generator that they would haul from parish to parish and they would execute people right in that parish. They moved that generator to Angola, and Angola became the place where men were executed. And they put it next to a, a little old prison that was called the Red Hat. You guys probably saw that down there. And this is a picture next to that building. The generator is over here outside. That dark line across there is a wall where the electrical controls used to be. And my son was sitting in the electric chair when he took this picture. And that picture is looking out towards the door. To me, that picture is a picture of, in some ways, despair and death. But when I saw the light there, that bright light shining, it's also a picture to me of hope. And there's a scripture that needs to go with this. And when my son, he framed this for me, I have it in my office. And it would be a picture of total despair without the scripture verse that I put at the bottom of it. And the scripture verses are from Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 16 and 17. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. 
On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. What a great verse. <laughs> there's, a, there's a light. You know, and that light, uh, you know, the, the old-time prisoners down there at Angola, those that have been there more than 50 years, will tell you that they were praying for God to do something there, the ones that are Christians, long before Warden came. Warden Cain came. And uh, I think he's an answer to their prayers. So there is a great light and a great hope. I, I look at this, though, and I, I think about the men that sat in that chair and died. And I wonder, you know, did some of them repent before they died? So what really is repentance? The Lord Jesus said in those two verses, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And John the Baptist, uh, his whole ministry was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. I want us to look just for a minute at Luke 23. And I think this is a basic definition of repentance. Luke 23, and I'm going to use, oddly enough, a thief about to be executed. Luke 23, verses 32 and 33. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, where they, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And now I'm going to jump down to verses 39 through 43. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Three things here that I see. That prisoner recognized his own sin. He said, we deserve to die. You and I deserve to die, he said to the other prisoner. But then he looked to Jesus Christ, who he knew, and I think this is the power of God, that Jesus did not deserve to die because he was a pure and holy sacrifice for his sin. And he said to the Lord Jesus Christ, remember me. And the Lord Jesus said, this very day you will be with me in paradise. I see that as repentance broken down into a very simple equation. Looking up and asking the Lord to remember me. Let me give you a de definition. This is from a man named Callistus Ware. He's a Greek Orthodox bishop. He's got a great definition of repentance. To repent is to look not downward at my own shortcomings. You know, a lot of us, we dwell in that place of looking at ourselves and our own shortcomings, and we, we have this guilt that we carry around with us, and we think that that's repentance. He goes on. Uh, not downward at my own shortcomings, but upward at God's love. <laughs> it is to see not what I failed to be, but what by the grace of Christ I can yet become. Isn't that a beautiful definition? 
The, the attention is off of ourselves, and it's in this upward look to Christ. That's what repentance is. And, uh, you know, we talk about the object of things. We say that the object of our faith and trust is God through Christ. And we say that the object and subject of our worship is God through Christ. We say that the object of our love is God through Christ. And we say that the object of our prayers is God through Christ. I say to you this morning that the object of our repentance is also God through Christ. Uh, the attention away from us and onto the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an upward look. It's not just a one-time repentance. I think many Christians, they have this experience of repentance and they turn away from their sin and they're saved. And for a lot of us, we think, okay, that's it. I've repented. And they, they walk on. And they lose that spirit of repentance. Therefore, I titled the, the sermon today, The Look for Life. Because that upward look is a look that needs to last throughout our whole life, that idea of repentance. Amen. It's an upward look for life. So we come to our text, finally. <laughs> Psalm 32. And if you would turn there, uh, mainly we'll be in Psalm 32, and, uh, and we'll see what the Lord has for us this morning. First, the context, very briefly, because you've heard this before, and I don't want to lose time. You know that David sinned with Bathsheba in an immoral way. You know that a child was conceived. You know that David had Uriah the Hittite murdered. You know that Nathan the prophet confronted David, and you know that the baby died. Uh, so you know all of these things. Sometime after that, Psalm 51 was written, I think, immediately in that context. And this is probably sometime a little later, where David is talking about the idea of repentance. And the first thing that I see in verses 1 and 2 is, is what I call the lightness in my soul. And uh, I couldn't think of any other word but lightness to express what I see here. Listen to verses 1 and 2. Blessed, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Well, that word blessed is often translated happy. Happy is just a little tiny bit of that word. Really, I like the word shalom. Shalom, the, the word that means peace and completeness. And there's a sense of relief. So it, and there's a sense of joy. It's beyond this happiness. But blessed is this person uh, that has his transgressions, his sins forgiven. It says that his sins are covered, they're buried, and his sins don't count against him. Can, can you imagine that? I, I think about it because of when I deal with prisoners. You know, their sins count against them in a way, in a very real and practical way. And, and sometimes I think we think that our sins don't count against us because nobody sees them. But your sins count against you according to God. So blessed 
There's a lightness in the soul of the man or woman whose sins don't count against them. And he says also on here, in the person in whose spirit there is no deceit. So he's talking to the children of God. And I want you to hear that this morning. This is directed primarily to believers, to Christians, the people of God, this repentance theme. And I want you to think in your own life, as I had to do as I looked at this text, is there a place in my life where there needs to be repentance? You know, Paul used these words in Romans chapter 4. He, he, he quoted these words, and he was talking about salvation and justification. Uh, he said in Romans 4 verse 6, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. So uh, there is a gospel context. This does point to the gospel. It points to that coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know a lot of you, but there may be a person in here that's never actually come to that first point of, look at me, look at him, I need him, and I believe that he can save me. That's, that's the gospel. But this goes beyond that. I want you to listen to how the psalm writers describe this condition of lightness. And think about yourself. I had to think about this, and I'm going to tell you I didn't measure up. Uh, he re, I'm not going to give you the psalms. We're not going to look them up. But here's some phrases. He restores my soul. My soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Do you remember that condition? Do you remember when you first came to the Lord? I remember it pretty clearly. I was a little bit of a scoundrel. Uh, you know what? And that, that reminds me of something. The picture, don't put it back up. But when my son was sitting in that electric chair looking out at, through the darkness at the light, what I say to all people is if we can't put ourselves in that position of sitting in that electric chair deserving to die, we really don't understand the gospel. So we need to understand it that same way. Um, so do you remember when you first came to the Lord? I remember it. I do remember a lightness in my soul and a joy. Uh, there were some things that I had been doing that I didn't do anymore that God took out of my life. And I remember feeling at peace. Do you remember that? Amen. Well, the question is, to me and to you, does it describe us today? Do we still have that lightness? And I've got to confess, there's a lot of times that I don't. And, you know, non-believers, if they could see lightness and joy in Christians, I think it would make a huge difference. I'd want Jesus Christ when I see how light and happy and joyful and peaceful and contented that person is. But we're not always that way. And that takes us to the next thing, where David remembers the laden soul. He was a heavy laden soul. Verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. 
For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Wow. You know, there had been a refusal to repent. And when we're in a position where we refuse to repent, there's some sin within us that we choose to ignore or to play it down. Oh, that's not a big deal. We're in a, in a precarious position. The hand of God is heavy on us during that time. And maybe some of you feel that right now. I've felt it. When, when we're in sin, the hand of God is heavy on us. That's what David says. And he says he feels weak, and he groans. Have you felt that way? I love this next one because we can relate to it. He says he feels like the heat of summer has sapped him. Wow, you remember that month of heat and humidity we just had? Uh, those of you that work outside like I used to, you go out into it, and you feel like, oh, I can hardly breathe. I have to cut my way through that thick air. That's how our soul feels when we refuse to repent. Uh, we're sapped. We've got a heavy load. I love to hike. I carry a backpack when I hike, and I love it when the backpack begins to lose the weight. As the water goes away and the food goes away and I get to the end of my journey, I have an empty backpack on my back. That's how it is to carry sin. It's like having an extra weight on your shoulders and on your body. Very vivid description by David. Well, listen to how the other psalm writers describe this condition and see if this reflects where you are today. My soul refused to be comforted. My soul is in anguish. How long, O oh Lord, how long? I am in distress. My soul is forlorn. It is downcast within me. My soul is full of trouble. My soul thirsts for you. Can you relate to that this morning in some way? Is there a heaviness in your soul? Uh, maybe you can relate to what the psalmist is saying here. It's a wretched condition to be in. And there's a need that we have. That need is to, the next point, look to the Lord. <laughs> you remember how we started this with repentance and how the criminal looked to the Lord. So listen to uh, verse 5 from Psalm 32. Then I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now there's the place I want to be. Uh, when I'm in sin, I want to come to this place. David comes to his senses. I would call it kind of an aha moment. <laughs> you know, he's carrying this load. Uh, the thing that he did was awful. He's confronted by Nathan, and all of a sudden David realizes, why am I doing this? You know the parable of, of, uh, of the prodigal son. Uh, listen to Luke 15, uh, verses 17 and 18. And these will be familiar verses to you. Luke 15, 17, and 18. When he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven 
and against you. There's repentance, the prodigal son. What a place to be. Uh, I just had, Kathy and I were in Virginia for two weeks. Uh, my mother lives there since my father died. We built an addition uh, on the farmhouse down there where my sister and her husband live. My sister and husband took off for a couple weeks and we stayed there to take care of my elderly mom. I also had the duties of taking care of the farm. Are there any farmers in here? Okay, there's, there's one. Well, you can laugh at me. Okay. Um, I had never really taken, I'd taken care of cows a bit in my life, but I'd never taken care of pigs or chickens. And uh, I found it really interesting to slop the hogs to feed the pigs. And every time I did that, every night, I thought about the prodigal son. And I thought, I wouldn't want to eat that stuff. But he was so hungry, he was so down, he had such a load on him that every night when he looked at that slop, he said, I wish I could eat that. But then he had this moment when he came to his senses and he realized, I need to turn to the Father, to my heavenly Father, and repent of my sin. It's, it's a beautiful thing. So it says that David acknowledged his sin. So we need to acknowledge our sin. We need to stop hiding it. We're good at hiding our sin. We really are. I, I know I'm good at it. I can hide my sin, and I think most of you can as well. Stop hiding it. Cry out in repentance and confession to the Lord. And it says at the end of the verse 5, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Those words should make us want to jump up and down and shout hallelujah. You forgave the guilt of my sin. I don't, you know, I remember I used to go into jails and I'd talk about Hebrews and I'd talk about how Jesus understands us because he was just like us, and he was tempted in every way that we are. But in my little brain, and I do mean little, I used to think, well, Jesus doesn't really understand my guilt because he never sinned. Uh-uh. Jesus on the cross carried the sin and the guilt of the world. He understands the guilt of the whole world. What a joy to have the Lord say we are forgiven for the guilt of our sin. And let me just give you two verses that just uh, emphasize this. Uh, Isaiah 43, 25, God speaking, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I love that phrase. You know, we think he's taking our sin away for our benefit. He says he's doing it for his own sake, for his own glory. If God has done something in our lives, it's for his glory, not our own glory. We have to remember that. So he says, blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. Praise the Lord. And then this one, some of you will know this one, Micah 7, 18 and 19. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You don't stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again, you hear that? Again and again and again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Amen. Praise God. What a place to be in. That's why the psalmist has got a lightness of soul and a joy. It goes on to our next point. It says, let the godly pray. Verses 6 and 7 of Psalm 32 
Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you, while you may be found. Surely, when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Wow. Let the godly pray. So if you're God's child, what he's saying to you now about sin, now is the time to pray. <laughs> you know, we're good at putting things off, too. You know, I'll, I know I'm struggling with this thing in my life, and I'm going to get it straightened out. I hear that so often in the jail. Tom, do you hear that in the jail? You know, when I get out, I'm, I won't be doing this, I won't be doing that. And that's how we are as Christians. You know, we're going to get this thing straightened out. But now is the time to pray. And, and there is an end to God's patience. He's speaking to his people. Yeah, there's a hell, and a hell is a real place. You're a child of God, you're not destined for hell. But somehow there's an end to God's patience, and you see it over and over again in the scriptures for his people. I don't know what that means in your life and my life, but I do know that it's true. Romans 2.4, I love this little verse. It keeps popping up in front of me for some reason. It says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? Whew. God is kind. <laughs> you know, a lot of people are happy that God is kind but they're not real happy that God's kindness and patience is leading us to see the darkness and sin of our own soul that we can repent continually as Christians. So it's a repentance now and for life, and that's why I call this sermon, it's a, a look for life, an upward look. So here's the kind of one of the cool things. Not only is he giving us forgiveness, but in these two verses he says we've got some promises. We have protection from the rising waters. He says he'll be our hiding place from trouble. And he says we'll be surrounded with songs of deliverance. I don't know exactly what that means. But I was thinking, okay, maybe this message is a song of deliverance. You know, God is surrounding us with psalms and songs of deliverance. And that's a beautiful thing. Protection from the rising waters hiding place from trouble, and then songs of deliverance. I'm going to say this right straight out. Too many Christians, too many of us, we act just like the world. Amen. This economy thing has got Christians scared to death. We have no business being in that same boat with the world. We really don't. Not only do they need to see a lightness in our soul, but they need to see that we believe that we're protected from the rising waters, that we believe that we have a hiding place in a time of trouble, and that we believe that there's songs of deliverance. Let me remind you of three or four things here. You've heard these phrases, but listen carefully and let God not only convict you, but let him encourage you. God is our shelter in a time of storm. Are we in a time of storm? In some ways we are. God is our shelter in a time of storm. God is our provider, isn't he? God is our provider. 
Seek his kingdom first, and all of these things will be added unto you. God is our provider. We have this hope for an anchor. We have this hope for an anchor, firm and secure. The words of Scripture. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, say it with me, today and forever. That's where Christians have to live. (laughs) If we're going to impact the world, that's where we have to live. And finally, not finally, there's one more point after this. The next point, sorry about that, folks, you're getting all happy. (laughs) Listen and learn, verses 8 and 9. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Listen and learn. We don't know if this is God speaking or David speaking, and all these great Theologians are divided on it too, so I'm just going to say we don't know who it is, but it really doesn't matter because God is speaking directly or he's speaking through David and saying these words. And he's saying to us a promise, another promise, that he will instruct us. You know, God doesn't just save us and leave us hanging. You know, okay, you're redeemed, you've repented, you're my child, you're going to heaven. No, he says he instructs us, he teaches us the way He counsels us, and he watches over us. All of those things are in that verse. Instructs us, teach us, counsel us, and watch over us. Remember the words of Jesus in John 14, 26, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Christians, children of God, we need to listen and learn. And it's as simple as it is, the Word. Listen to the Word. Be in the Word. Be instructed. Don't just read it. Sometimes I read this in the morning and I confess. I read it and 15 minutes later I might not be able to tell you what I've read. That's not listening. We need to listen to the Word of God and let Him speak to us. And let him teach us, listen and learn. And then he says, don't be like the horse or the mule. I threw the word stupid in here. I think that's what he's saying. Don't be stupid. Don't be like a horse or a mule. You know, I didn't have any horses or mules to take care of on the farm. But I did have a bull. And uh, I understand where the word bullheaded comes from now. And maybe the Lord's talking about being bullheaded. And I remember the pigs when you're trying to feed them, they're like trying to kill each other and gouge me, so I guess that's where pig-headed comes from. (laughs) But you know what gave me the most trouble? The chickens. (laughs) I couldn't believe the chickens. They had 16 new chickens. They weren't used to the, the procedure yet. You know, I'm not a farmer, so. They had a place where they were supposed to roost at night, but they roosted wherever they wanted to. 
You can't do that in southwestern Virginia because they got wild critters all over, and that's why they had 16 new chickens because there had recently been a massacre. <laughs> so my job was to get these new chickens into the hen house every night. <laughs> Fortunately, they've got a dog named Annie who's a border collie, so she's pretty good. She can get those chickens going the right way, although she gets a little aggressive once in a while. And I had a little stick. Now, I didn't hit any chickens for all you PETA people. I didn't touch them. <laughs> I never touched the chicken with a stick, okay? But, you know, I kind of goaded them and prodded them along. And they finally, you know, by the end of my two weeks, they were getting to the hen house. But the Lord is telling us, don't be like a chicken. Go to where you're supposed to go. You know where to go. Listen and learn. And the last part of that, verse 9, says, or they will not come to you. You know, that's, that's an indictment. <laughs> we're so stubborn that we won't go to the Lord. That's where we are when we're not repentant. We're so stubborn, pig-headed, bull-headed, chicken, that we won't go to the Lord. Don't be like that, he says to his people. And now, the last point. Love unfailing. Verses 10 and 11. It says there, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Wow. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. Well, there's a great contrast here. The contrast is, is that the wicked have many woes. Now, you might look at me or somebody and say, well, that's not my experience. In fact, if you read some of the Psalms, he's talking about, oh, it seems like the world's always got everything going their way. But let me tell you that the woes of the wicked, maybe they haven't begun, but they will. And the woes of the wicked are something that we don't want to face. We don't want to face that eternal destiny. So he contrasts the woes of the wicked with what there is for the faithful. And in those verses, he says, the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him, a man of faith. Isn't that beautiful? Unfailing love. We're surrounded by God's unfailing love. Uh, Kathy and I were married 39 years as of Friday. Got that right, didn't I, Kathy? We went down to uh, Navy Pier, went and looked at the tall ships. Had a great day together. But I can't say that my love has been unfailing as a husband. I mean, I love my wife. We have a fantastic relationship, praise the Lord. But there is no human unfailing love. Only God has unfailing love, love that never fails. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Praise God for that unfailing love. Now let me read uh, Isaiah 54.10. You know, God's word can say it so much better than I can. Isaiah 54 and verse 10. Hear what the Lord says. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, 
Yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Do you hear that? No matter what happens in this world, <laughs> the mountains are shaken, the hills are totally removed, God says that his unfailing love for us will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So, all of you are repentant ones initially and hopefully throughout your life, looking upward for life. He says to you who are righteous and upright in heart, that describes us because of God's grace. He says to us, rejoice in the Lord, be glad in the Lord, and sing to the Lord. That sounds a lot like where he started with blessedness, doesn't it? We're to rejoice in the Lord, be glad in the Lord, and sing to the Lord. That's what I call the look for life. And you know, I think at the end of this, um, Andrew, we will sing, won't we? We'll rejoice, we'll be glad in the Lord. But just before that, just a couple of questions, and then we'll close this. We're going to have a time to be totally silent for a minute. Minutes a long time for silence for us in this crazy world we live in. But it's good to be still and know that He is God. If you've never repented for your sin, I challenge you this morning to look up to the Lord Jesus Christ. Recognize your sin and ask for forgiveness. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins and trust Him for your salvation. Most of you aren't in that position. Most of us are God's people in here. I know there's some people in here that are heavy laden, that don't have that lightness. We've forgotten about the blessedness. There may be something in you that you're hiding that you don't even really want to confess. I know the older I get, it seems like the darker it seems some ways that my heart is as I recognize I'm really a sinful person. I really have a lot of pride. I really have a lot of judgment in the wrong way. We need to recognize those things. That's what God is saying, and repent so that we can be blessed and rejoicing. So we need to look to the Lord continually, that upward look. We need to pray. He says, let the godly pray. And he says to do it now. Don't wait. And then he says to listen and learn. Listen to God's word. Learn from what he's got to say to us. Listen to what he said this morning and learned from it. Listen to the Holy Spirit, the counselor, and then rejoice in God's unfailing love. Father, you are a loving and gracious, compassionate, forgiving God. At the same time, you are a holy and just and righteous I pray, Father, that whatever sin there is that keeps us from having that lightness of soul that would be a, a, a light to the world, whatever that is, I pray that we will repent. And not just today, but we will continually look upward to you in repentance. We praise you this morning. We love you. We rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen.